episode we hear about a revolutionary device to treat knife wounds, creating electricity from your own sweat, and Kanye West's new gadget that could change how we interact with music forever. But first, it was on this day in 1997 that Mark Randolph and Reed Hastings created a brand new company which let you borrow DVDs by mail and post them back when you were done. It was a simple idea, but one that ultimately led to the demise of the DVD rental business and the creation of the world of stream movies and TV. The name of that 24-year-old company? Netflix. Seven. Six, five, four, three, two, one. This week, senior figures from the international space community gathered for the 36th annual Space Symposium, with NASA Chief Bill Nelson taking the stage for his keynote speech. He highlighted something called the Artemis mission, which plans to send astronauts, including the first woman and first person of colour, to explore more of the moon than ever before. Despite the decidedly un-sci-fi novel-esque lawsuit looming from Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin surrounding lunar landing contracts, NASA has no plans of staying terra firma. For the first time, NASA will land instruments on the far side of the moon. We will study moonquakes, investigate meteorite impact, and understand its interior. For the first time, our astronauts will explore the lunar South Pole. We'll learn if it's possible to create breathable air and rocket fuel to power missions deeper into the cosmos. And what we learn, what we develop, and what we experience will prepare us for the next giant leap, sending humans to Mars. But Jeff needn't angrily dust off his phallic rocket again just yet. NASA's key objective is looking after planet Earth, in particular a new wildfires program, as Bill explains. Central to our mission is protecting this planet. Right now, it's the only one we inhabit. The program will draw from our satellite and airborne observations, our eyes in the sky. That technology will develop data-driven tools to support the heroes who are fighting the fires. The announcements just kept on coming too. Nelson also has high hopes for the launch of Webb, the biggest telescope ever built. Now he just needs to find someone with a massive eye. Only joking. Webb is nearly ready to take flight. We'll see the light from first galaxies that formed in the early universe. This telescope will fundamentally alter our understanding of the universe. In the past 17 years, the James Dyson Award has supported trailblazing engineers for their problem-solving designs. This year, -year 22-year-old product design graduate Joseph Bentley took home the national prize after developing an ingenious new concept called REACT that aims to help police treat knife wounds while waiting for medical assistance to arrive. There were around 46,000 offences involving a knife or sharp instrument in England and Wales in 2020, which is the highest number in nearly a decade. The average wait time for an ambulance is currently just over eight minutes, yet it can take just five for someone to bleed to death. Inspired by personal experience of knife crime, Joseph set out to do something about it. So Joseph, how does this device work? 
So the device is based on the principle that if you're impaled or stabbed by any form of sharp object, the first aid device is to never remove that object. And that's because that's providing a lot of internal pressure to that wound site. And it's also filling up the cavity that would otherwise be free for blood loss. Now, REACT works in exactly the same principle. Uh, rubber or silicon sleeve is inserted into the wound tract and that is inflated by an actuator device which applies that internal pressure to that wound site. How did you go about developing it? So my research really started with speaking to you know people who deal with this already. What are the current processes and techniques behind managing knife crime? Um, so talking to paramedics police officers, you know, first responders, just to fully understand the systems. But then talking to surgeons and understanding what they require in uh, receiving patients that have been treated. It sounds like it could be a vital tool for first responders all over the world. What impact do you think it's going to have on society in the future? I think the long-term goals of this project is definitely to save lives, you know. Dying from blood loss is preventable and it's all about the speed of first aid and how quickly can we get something in place stopping bleeding. Uh, and so equipping first responders like police officers, um, but also we're considering publicly accessible models like the defibrillator. So having these things on street corners in you know, areas of high risk, you know, how, can, how can we get this first aid treatment to the scene as quickly as possible? Um, yeah, and I, I do think this project could save lives. Still to come on the Sunday 7, we're harvesting electricity from sweat and we speak to a climate scientist about Europe's devastating floods. Bye. Recent months have given us all a worrying glimpse into what our climate future could look like. There are extreme heatwaves in North America, forest fires in Russia, Greece, Turkey and the US and devastating European floods. Around 200 people died and towns were left in ruins when rivers in Germany and Belgium burst their banks after heavy rains this summer. In the Ahr and Erft region of Germany, nearly a metre of rain fell in a single day, with that terrifying threshold being broken by the Belgium region of Meuse over a two-day period. As any scientist will tell you, these events were most likely caused or exacerbated by the climate crisis. Now a new study from 39 leading scientists suggests the chances of such an extreme event happening in these regions has been made up to nine times more likely because of human activity. We spoke to one of the study authors to find out a bit more. Hi, I'm Sarah Q and I'm a climate scientist working in the field of extreme weather event attribution at KNMI, the Royal Dutch Meteorological Institute. The most important conclusion from this study is that climate change has been increasing the probability and the intensity of heavy rainfall events like these in Europe, and that trend is set to continue. The likelihood of such an event to occur today compared to a 1.2 degrees Celsius cooler climate has increased by a factor between 1.2 and 9 for the one-day event in the large region. Now, the range 1.2 to 9 sounds large, but this result is already clearer than previous studies, which use less models. The lower end of the range of the factor 1.2 means that there has already been a 20% increase in the frequency of these kinds of events, which is important for impacts. When we think of global warming, it's usually arid landscapes or melting polar caps. Rain doesn't normally enter the picture. 
So why does rainfall increase as global temperatures rise? As the air warms, its capacity for holding moisture increases, leading to stronger moisture transport and more intense downpours. That's the main mechanism that we expect to be behind these changes, although there are other possible dynamical effects as well, such as the slowing down of weather systems, which would cause more rain to fall in one place. What's the most worrying aspect of this study? The most worrying thing about the findings is that this is not a one-off event. While we found that it was a rare event of around 1 in 400 years for a specific location, we know that several such events are likely to occur across the wider region over the same time frame. Plus, the study shows that events like these will, be, will become more frequent and even more intense in the future. So where do we go from here? Is it really too late already? These floods should act as a warning that we need to prepare for more extreme weather events. Adaptation will help to reduce the impact on people's lives and infrastructure. It's important for water boards and authorities, for example, to know what we can expect in the future and to make decisions accordingly. Dikes can be reinforced or flood buffer zones created where that's possible. Emergency warning systems are obviously of high importance and reaching out to our vulnerable neighbours. Are you in any way hopeful about Europe's climate future? Well, a lot needs to happen fast and faster than it does now. In general, there's a lot of talk, but still not enough political action. But I do think we, we need to be optimistic as that's what spurs us on. It's motivating to see people coming into action for the climate and raising awareness and setting examples. The challenges imposed by climate change on individuals and societies has generated some fantastic innovations, but ultimately it's political action to cut emissions, which is so urgently needed. Now that we're back to actually leaving the house, we've got a lot to look around these days, haven't we? As well as your phone, wallet, keys, travel card, water bottle, blankie. Was that just me? You now can't forget the hand sanitizer and mask. On top of that, me and probably a lot of us would also break out into hives if we forgot our portable charger. Nothing ruins a day like running out of battery, but help, maybe at hand, literally. Scientists have invented the world's most efficient on-body energy harvester capable of powering devices from, get this, your actual fingertips. Engineers at the University of California, San Diego, discovered that a thin, flexible strip called a biofuel cell placed on the skin could generate enough electricity from a user's sweat to power wearables and other devices. The biofuel cell works like a battery with a positive and negative electrode, which has enzymes as catalysts to oxidize the lactate in the sweat to generate electricity. This is Lu Yin, a PhD student who worked on the biofuel cells. They were placed on the fingertips because the fingertip has the highest density of sweat gland compared to other locations of the body, and they are constantly emitting sweat even when you're not aware of it. As well as generating electricity from sweat, the biofuel cells, or BFC for short, can also harvest extra power from light finger presses from activities like typing or playing the piano. This is revolutionary energy technology, and the lead author, Professor Wang, even described it as the holy grail of energy harvesters, as it doesn't rely on any external irregular energy sources like sunlight or movement. We believe this is really a groundbreaking work because previous energy harvesters on body were developed based on movements and exercises, which consumes hundreds to thousands of watts from your body. 
whereas our biofuel cell can harvest the same level of power without any movement. This technology can be much more practical than previous wearable harvesters towards powering wearable sensors. So what's next for wearable energy harvesters? We hope in the near future we can use various wearable harvesters to power wearable sensors and electronics, where they can be truly self-powered, autonomously operating, without you needing to charge it every night. This follows our vision of establishing a wearable microgrid, which one day we hope to see wearable harvesters, energy storage devices, and applications integrated into a complete system where everything can be self-sustainable and well-organized like a power grid on your body. Still to come on the Sunday 7, Kanye drops a revolutionary music gadget and Elon Musk announces Tesla's latest offering, a robot. Right after this. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Travel back in time one billion years to witness its birth. You will search in vain for a more enduring or brilliant creation. For decades, sophisticated and glamorous adverts have been trying to tell us we need diamonds in our lives. You know the drill, luxurious, timeless opulence that's almost guaranteed to make someone agree to marry you. But with a good quality stone easily setting you back at least two months' salary... They are, quite frankly, unattainable for most of us. However, change is on the horizon. Now, machines are growing diamonds in a matter of weeks for two-thirds of the price. These lab diamonds are nothing new, having been around for about 60 years, but now that the process has been refined, they might finally become a more realistic purchase. But how do these lab-grown stones compare to the ones formed underground for thousands of years? Any gemologist in the world will put one of our stones under a grading lamp and grade it exactly the same as a mine stone. This is Jeremy Schultz, CTO of a California-based company called Diamond Foundry, speaking to The Economist about how the gems are created. While small differences can be detected if you know what you're looking for, a lab-grown diamond is, to all intents and purposes, a real diamond, but without some of the ethical problems attached to traditional stones, whose mining has been linked to conflict, severe human rights abuses and state corruption, not to mention being hugely detrimental to the environment. But now it seems there's another way to enjoy the luxury of a diamond without these affiliated costs. We're giving customers the option of a product that uh, is 100% traceable and origin guaranteed. Uh, That just hasn't been possible in the diamond industry before. Every single night, right? Every single fight, right? I was looking at the gram and I don't even like lights. I was screaming Listeners, Kanye West's at it again. Not only has he reportedly filed documents to legally change his name to Yee, but ahead of his third listing event for Donda, he revealed a piece of tech called a stem player, which allows users to customize any song from the album for just $200. What? 
With the ability to remix any song on the go, this kit is potentially revolutionary in how we interact with and consume music. In a video shared by XXL magazine, you get a glimpse of it in action, and in true Kanye, Yeezy, Yee, whatever is called style, the device is a futuristic-looking beige-toned puck that fits in the centre of your palm. According to Kanye's site, the player will allow listeners to control vocals, drums, bass and samples, as well as isolate parts, add effects and split any song into stems. As you can hear in this demo, sounds pretty damn cool. While it comes with a built-in 97 decibel speaker, it can also connect to Bluetooth speakers or via an audio jack. It's got lossless audio mixing, looping and speed control, and the ability to save and share customised mixes. It's going to ship with the release of the new album. While Donda still doesn't have a guaranteed release date, I've already ordered mine. Maybe I'll do a remix of the Sunday 7 theme tune for you in a few weeks' time. Watch out, Calvin Harris! Elon Musk's already tackled electric cars, space flight and satellite broadband, now he's turning his head to AI-powered robots. At Tesla's AI Day, he unveiled the company's latest high-tech development, the Tesla Bot. Uh, Tesla is arguably the world's biggest robotics company because our cars are like se semi-sentient robots on wheels. Uh, it it kind of makes sense to put that onto a humanoid form. So uh, we think we'll probably have a prototype Sometime next year. The bot's modelled on the human form, but sadly a functioning version of the robot didn't make an appearance during the reveal. Instead, the audience were given the bizarre spectacle of a gyrating performer in a robot onesie. Huh. When it eventually arrives, the actual robot will stand at 5 foot 8 inches, weigh 125 pounds, and be designed to help eliminate dangerous, repetitive and boring tasks. Now, this may sound terrifyingly similar to the Will Smith movie iRobot, but according to Ed Niedermeyer, author of Ludicrous, The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors... I would definitely think of it as a project to attract talent um, uh, rather than, you know, sort of a product. Um, and I think that, like, generally also you can look at Boston Dynamics, which has been working for, you know, a long time on, on this, you know, these kinds of robots. And, and you know, their main output is, is viral videos, which is great and important in this day and age, but, like, it's important to separate you know, what is entertainment and what is a, uh, you know, something serious that, that's actually going to happen. A Tesla robot might sound pretty cool, but this could well just be another Musk announcement that sounds fantastic in theory, but fails to actually ever materialise. Where's the magnet train underneath LA, pal, eh? Hey? Ed spoke to CNBC following the robot reveal and had these wise words. Based on what we know about, about AI and robotics, like the, the products that have been successful, both in the autonomous vehicle space, but then also in, in sort of robotics, are when you, you take a problem that makes sense to automate and you build a robot specifically to solve that problem. That's, the, that's literally the only, you know, the only like viable uh, robotic product is the, is the Roomba. And it's a fantastic example of that. Uh, building a humanoid to, to do it all is, uh, it sounds great, but it's a pipe dream that uh, humans have been chasing for decades. This has been The Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.